to another episode of Code of Conversations. Today, we have the head of the techno department at One Community Church, John Hazel. How's it going, John? Hey, y'all. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you here. Glad to have you. Sean, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. So, yeah, uh, basically, uh, John, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your story? Um, how did you, you know, get into coding and technology? Uh, how did you end up in DFW? How did you end up at uh, One Community Church? Yes, sir. I'll try to be quick because that's a, that's a lot right there. But um, I uh, grew up, my dad was a programmer, actually, um, C Sharp and .NET. And so I grew up around it. I picked up his HTML goodies book when I was 11 years old and just started building HTML. Um, the funny thing, the next time I picked up web design was like 10 years later and there was CSS and JavaScript and WordPress and all this stuff. And I was like, what the heck? What, what happened to the good old days? Of, like I just type it in HTML and I'm done. But um, I, love, I love all that now. But uh, And then in high school, I got to do I was at a pretty cool high school that um, had a lot of computer science stuff. So I, I was able to do um, Java and C++, actually game programming, Game Maker, which was not really programming. It's all UI, <laughs> visual um, drag and drop stuff. And then uh, I did Oracle database design. So I got to get a little bit of foundation in, in data. Uh, and then after high school, I... Um, just kind of had basically like I, I I was making all my own plans of where I was going to go. And I hit this point where it was like, um, you know, I'm God has a different plan for me. So I, I really surrendered my life and, and God put me in ministry. And I've been working for 10 years, um, mostly, uh, except for I had a kind of a break in the last couple of years, but mostly been working in church and ministry, um, doing technology. And I'm a self learner. So like I said, God redirected my life and I had planned to go to college, but I didn't end up going to college. And uh, I, I learned everything on the job. Um, I would be given, you know, a task and say, get, we need to get this done. And then I would figure out how to do it and uh, have slowly grow my knowledge base there. Back in 2019, my wife and I visited the DFW area, the Dallas area for, um, for a wedding. And we went to our friend's church and set through service. And she looked at me and said, I would move here to be a part of this church, which is big because I was working at our church in Colorado and uh, and I and I said, you know, I actually would, too. I had already been feeling a transition coming and it was like, yep, that's it. So we had a long like year of transition through COVID. I went self-employed. We helped plan a church in Colorado Springs and then um, and then God called us down here and I got a job at an awesome company called Leader which is a people development software that's, um, you know, flips HR upside down and focuses on people development instead of just the um, logistical HR stuff. And uh, I learned a lot there um, and it's a cool tech startup. And then right after that, um, I felt called to work at our church, one community church here, and I was hired as the digital experience lead. So I oversee digital analytics, web and app, metaverse campus, our online campus, a um, little bit of social media and marketing and lots of stuff there. So that's, that was about as fast as I, is that comprehensive enough? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, like uh, what, what made you want to like come here versus the, the church in Colorado? Like what, what were the, some of the, 
distinguishing points about the one community church in Plano? Yeah, I mean, obviously the first thing is um, be where you're called to be. Like know, know where God wants you, hear his voice. And uh, so that that's the number one thing. But, you know, upon the the reasons that we, you know, we set through service and we said that was because the service was just excellent. Like, you know, um, I, having been an IT director at a church, you know, so my previous job uh, at, at church was IT director. So I did everything from networking to programming to web design and development to, um, you know, desktop support, like you name it. When you work in church IT, you just do everything. Uh, and we were in particularly at that church because we were a, be a very do-it-yourself mindset. So instead of like contracting somebody to set up the network, we would we would run the cable. We laid cable tray. We ran cable like we did everything ourselves. Um, and so I uh, so there I was very deep in the technology. And on the weekends, I was involved in media, AV production. And so I did lighting and camera and uh, directing all that and uh the live streaming with obs all that and um so when i came to one community and i just saw the excellence of av production there was phenomenal communication from the pastor and he had really like he worked in uh personal stories illustrations humor like all these things that really helped to communicate a concept to every different type of person different strengths different learning styles um, and then there was a dance, a creative, uh, phenomenal worship. It was multicultural. Um, and so we just were like, wow, this is this like immediately feels like something we want to be a part of because we care. We care about advancing the kingdom. We want we want people to know um, God and we want to do it in an excellent way that taps into people's strengths and gifts. And um, and that's that's how it's been. So I know like managing one community church is a really big church and uh, there's a lot of complexity there, there's a lot of departments. So like what are some of the strategies that you've developed to manage all of that complexity? Yeah, and that, that's why, you know, we were talking offline before this about um, the, the book, The First 90 Days, and I had read that coming into this position and uh, I was like putting a lot of pressure on myself to to, to hit this place of like flow by, by 90 days. And, um, and, uh, there was, um, let's see, I, I inherited for the web and app team. I inherited basically one volunteer, one team member. There's nobody else on staff for digital. We don't even have, we actually have an IT director and he is a volunteer. So I'm the most tech savvy, you know, person on staff. Um, so I'm obviously going to get called on for anything that needs to happen locally during the day and during the week. Um, you know, so I have a tiny volunteer team and I've got to, I've got to build that from scratch basically. Um, and then there's, there's no systems and processes. Things are very like, we're just a get it done culture, which is what I love. And that's kind of a little bit more how Dallas is. Dallas for me makes Colorado Springs feel like a little, Kansas town because you know it's it's fast paced like people are making good money out here people are hustling and um, and so I uh, you know I I uh, because of that we're very driven and so it's kind of just get it done whatever it takes and so people will set up their own systems we don't have we don't have like a lot of cohesion across the board 
for what systems are in place. And uh, there's not a lot of processes because with church and ministry, it's very much like um, it's th those things just end up being very fluid because the ROI looks different. The ROI is, is based on souls and not on profit. And, and it's, it can be harder to encapsulate that um, and to build those, those processes out. But you hit a point as a, as a church um, or even in a, in a non-profit ministry capacity where you hit this point where you say, okay, if we're gonna scale up or any kind of organization, if we're gonna scale up bigger than this, we gotta make some, some serious changes. And that's what I have a passion for is that bridging that gap um, of like of going from you know a small startup organization to a, a large scalable um, deal. And so I've been um, so yeah. It took the, the challenges were like I have to figure out how to how to recruit, how to build a team, how to um, you know how to how to do all these these processes and systems, and also just maintain the day to day. And so for the first few months, I was just trying to trying to learn everything and maintain everything. Um, and then it, you know, between like three to six months, I started to build for myself. And now we're at the six to 12 month, we just hit 12 months this week, actually. Um, and it's been really about, about growth and putting leaders in positions and, um, we're starting to really see some impact. So it's cool. So, um, yeah, like I know you were in corporate America before this and like you mentioned, the goal in church is more like saving souls. But like, what what are some of the difference? Uh, you know, like the the contrast between growing a, you know, like growing a corporate job versus the church. Like, uh, how is it different growing a volunteer based organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it was it was really cool actually because you know I've I've gotten kind of like God's calling on my life has obviously been ministry, and I I buck against it constantly. I'm like. I want to be in business. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be. I want to be in tech, um, and I just somehow keep ending up back in ministry. So the, what was cool about that job? So before that, I was self-employed. I was doing web design and development um, for uh, nine months or so. That was really great. Um, but then I went into that. Uh, I, I was trying to grow a business. I wasn't just trying to be self-employed and you know just contracting. I was trying to turn it into a business that would mm -hmm. scale up. So I, I hired a part-time assistant. I had several um, contractors that were friends of mine that I had worked with and I had trained them up. And um, I was I was developing systems and processes and trying to create a, a, a actual business um, for web design and development. And um, I, I ran into a lot of challenges and, and you know, a part of it is that I, what I've realized since then, I've realized a lot of things since then. So I honestly think that season was to highlight to me what it requires to make an organization successful because I, I you know, I was having such a hard time growing and making money. I still had, I actually had decent revenue for being a first year, um, fairly low profit because of um, all of, the expense, but pretty decent revenue for being first year and just kind of literally working on my network, no sales and marketing, none of that stuff. Um, but then when I went from there to leader, which the way that I got introduced to leader was really fascinating because um, I was I was trying to onboard a, a software at my previous church called PushPay. 
And um, I was talking to the sales rep and telling him how I was going self-employed and, and talking to him about my passion of like organizational consultancy. You know, I'm using my tech um, to get my foot in the door, but my goal is to help people with their cultures, with their vision, with their team building. Those are the things that I'm really passionate about. And um, I use web design as a, as a foot in the door to start because everybody needs a website. So that's an easy way. And then the, what, what I do with web design, I apologize, I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's all going to make sense here in a second. Um, what I do with web design is I end up, I end up um, asking them a lot of really deep questions to get to the, the, uh, the important <clears throat> things of what is your vision, what is your true vision, what is your true culture, and what, where is the dissonance, right? Where is the, the, the gap between where you are and where you want to go and what, what you have in your mind. And then how do we get that, get you there? And how do we share, how do we like share that story? And when people visit your website, loop them into that story where they feel like they're a part of it and they want to be engaged with your organization. And so that's how I would kind of shift the conversation because I needed that in order to build a really great website. But that's also what I really cared about the most. Um, so anyway, that, that, um, that year, you know, I learned a lot about that. And so I was sharing that with that guy um, at Pushpay. And he was like, you know, there's there's a, a new company. Some of some of the people here, some of the leaders here went and started a new company called Leader. And I think that you would really connect well with them. And so he, he put me in contact with them. I got to connect with them um, and actually got to demo the tool with my previous boss and it was awesome. Um, just built a great connection, and they actually gave me beta access to the tool for my company, and it was cool. Well, then when we got ready to move to Dallas, I was like, "Guess who's in Dallas? Leader. Sure enough, what are the odds?" Um, so then uh, I said, "I was looking for a job because trying to get approved for rent or mortgage based on 2019 income for my business, which is when it was a side gig, was like not even going to happen." So I was like, "I need, I need a, a, a job so I can do that." And so I um, reached out and I found out they had a sales role and I was like, oh my gosh, cold call sales. I don't think I can do that. Like, there's no way. And, and I'm, I'm talking to my wife about it, processing it. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I start selling her on the tool basically. And I was like, well, maybe I could sell this pretty easily. Um, what was cool is that their target audience at the time was churches. They expanded their target audience now to businesses, but at the time I was I was getting to sell to executive pastors at churches. So it's like I speak your language, and I've been in a position where I felt stagnant as a as a person, as a team member, and I want to make sure that organizations are equipped to develop their people. And instead of having to feel like they have to uh, just like put pressure on their people to like work harder, do better. Um, or feeling like they have to go find new people because these people aren't cutting it or whatever. What we should be doing is finding people that fit with the culture and developing them um, into you know who they need to be for the organization, uh, not only for the org, but also so that they develop as, as their own um, people in the rest of their lives. So it was really cool. I learned so much there, and this is really that was the long way to get to the, the answer to your question, which is that through that year of self-employment, I saw the gaps. And, and during this time at Leader, I saw that um, outbound sale, I, I learned how to build a sales funnel and how critical outbound sales is. 
And I've also learned a lot from Donald Miller with Business Made Simple about, um, you know, you have your, your, your business is like an airplane and you've got sales and you've got marketing. And those are your two different engines. Um, and you've got to at least have one of them. You can get by on one, you know, just marketing or just sales, but you get some more, some more thrust if you've got both. And so, um, so I really uh, learned a lot about building pipeline. And so now at the church, I'm, I'm out there, you know, on the weekends, just walking up to people and connecting with them and finding out if they're plugged in anywhere, because I don't want anybody to walk alone. And so I'll try and, of course, I'm going to try and plug them into my team because I'd love to have them, but I'm going to try and plug them into the team that makes the most sense for them. And, um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be bothered by no. So I learned that, you know, working in sales that a lot of times it takes a minimum of seven to eight touch points to actually get a hold of somebody. So when somebody ghosts me for three text messages, I'm not going to take that personally because I know that we just met and I'm not a priority in their world, but I'm going to text them 11 times before I drop them from my list. I'm going to, you know, and on the 11th time, I'm going to say, Hey, it seems like now's not a great time to connect. But um, I'm always here if you need me, you know, here's here's what I do. Here's how I can add value. You know, let me know. Hope you're doing great and having a wonderful year. And um, so I, I learned a lot about that. And that has been critical for running a volunteer driven or uh, team because um, it takes a lot to, to build a volunteer team. And then on top of that, you're working with tight timelines. So I've implemented that leader framework of people development, which is the anchor of the one-on-ones and then um, goals and learning and a lot of other things that for development. And so um, I've implemented that to make sure that everybody on my team is really growing and enjoying what uh, life and enjoying being a part of it. And that being a part of the team is not just something that they feel obligated to do, but it's something that's adding value to their lives. And it's something where their strengths and gifts are being able to be activated. And that's, that's been um, the, the primary goal. So those are the two things. And then there's, there's been rhythms. What I learned from one community is how critical it is to set up rhythms that volunteers can become a part of. So we have weekly meetings, we have weekly huddles, we have different um, rhythms that, that we can put people in within a few days. So I don't know if you were asking for all of that, but, <laughs> but that's, that's what I've learned in the last couple of years. Sorry, it sounds like running a church isn't really a lot different than running a business. Yeah, it sounds like a business. A lot of that was like, you know, you're talking about all the processes that you have to learn and pick up and what works and what doesn't work. And I was like, that just sounds like a business with extra steps. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah. And now people can get people can get weird about that and feel 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 some type of way about that. Um, I don't have a problem with it because I in my mind, like, here's the thing with business. The executive, the C-suite is working their tails off to make sure that they, hopefully, if it's a good business, they're working their tails off to keep the stockholders happy, right? Because those are the people putting money into the organization and helping to, they're the ones that are paying them. They're the ones that are, that's where the revenue is coming from. Um, that's that's the ones sustaining the, the org. So um, they, they work their tails off for that. And there's a reason that, um, you know, an organization that's really intentional with their systems and their processes and their culture of, the, of their team and everything else um, is, is, is a profitable business. Um, and there's a reason 
that it's profitable. And if, if they're going to put in all that work and intentionality and set things up so there's long-term legacy um, and succession planning and all those things for money, shouldn't we be having that same level of excellence and thinking things through and being an effectiveness uh, for the church? And you just can't do it if you if you don't have systems and processes. You and people, you know, when they learn about what's happening behind the scenes, if if they learn about it in the wrong context, they may feel like, oh, I'm just a cog in your wheel, or I'm just a faith, I'm just a number, I'm just a head count on a Sunday morning. Um, but if they learn about it in the right context and realize that the reason that we have systems and processes is because we care that you don't walk alone. And the reality is that nobody can, I can't keep track of my own life in my mind. I have to have all kinds of systems and alarms and calendars and all kinds of stuff just to keep track of my own life. It's, it's how much more important is it that I have systems to make sure that I'm caring for your life, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'd I know uh, moving from. Oh, go ahead, Terrence. Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I know moving from uh, Colorado to Dallas. That's a huge move. So I know normally that that's not something you just do on your own, like out of the blue. So you said like God kind of pushed you. How did you know like that was God? And you know, did you feel like God also made a way for you? like to, to really like survive and thrive in Dallas when he pushed you from um, Colorado down to Texas? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so as far as, uh, okay, so how, how I know that it was God and then how did how did God push me to survive and thrive down here? That's a good question. Um, I, you know, there's a, a person, um, her name's Havila Cunnington and she, um, She's she basically talks about that there's several different ways that people hear from God. And we, you know, we talk about hearing from God and we think we think audible voice or voice in our head, um, which is one of the ways that people um, talk to God. Let's let's call it let's call it um, interacting with God. Right. So that just to level the playing field. So there's several ways that people interact with God um, and hearing is just one of them. There's also, um, you know, there's also seeing, right? So there's people who are really um, vision oriented in their in in their giftings, and so they will maybe they have dreams or they just see a picture in their mind or or they see a picture out in front of them. That's the most intense one is like a vision, like they see it as if it's there, but it's not really there. Um, but that that's seeing, right? And then there's hearing, where you you hear something in your mind and it. Uh, it, it you're hearing it in your mind. You hear a lot of things in your mind, right? Like you have, you're constantly having thoughts, and um, but you hear it in your mind, but it feels foreign. It doesn't feel like this came from me. It doesn't feel like um, this. This doesn't match my personality necessarily. This doesn't match my um, temperament, my whatever. It's like this didn't come from me, and it's in a positive, peaceful, spiritual direction, right? Because you're going to hear things. That feel foreign but it can be anxiety and it can be you know dark things that are hitting your mind from from dark spiritual forces and so you're going to hear um, other kinds of thoughts but you can tell that's not leading me in a healthy direction and so if it's leading me in a healthy direction there's positivity there's peace 
Um, it doesn't mean it's not challenging. Something God will definitely challenge me. But that's for me. I hear there's other people who just have a knowing, which is which is kind of how I feel sometimes. Like you just have this gut sense, right? And there's a there's a gut sense that is that is your own personal gut. But then there's a gut sense that feels a little bit foreign, like this didn't come from me. And that's that knowing, like, I know that this is what God's saying or what God's um, compelling me to do, let's say. Um, and then there's, let's see, so I said hearing, seeing, knowing, uh, feeling. There's people that are very emotions oriented. And so, you know, a lot of this stuff will actually make, first of all, God created us um and we, he wired us each uniquely and so of course he's going to communicate with us in the language that makes the most sense to us and it's going to match our personality it's going to match our love languages our temperament our strengths you know god knows you and he wants to talk to you in the way that makes the most sense to you so um he, the the feeling it really if, if you look into the Myers-Briggs, it could help you to identify, am I more hearing, seeing, thinking, feeling? Um, so for me, I am an INTP, which means I'm introverted, I'm intuitive, I'm thinking, and I'm perceptive. Now, each of those four letters has uh, four alternates. So the alternate to introverted is extroverted. The alternate to intuitive is um, sensing alternate to thinking is feeling and then perceptive is judging right but i'm an intp so the thinking um is what i gravitate toward i gravitate toward the mind the logic the ration the thinking my wife gravitates towards the feeling right so she gravitates towards the emotions the heart the what's going on down here right so i have to know that i speak the language of thinking and she speaks the language of feeling and i have to figure out how to adapt my thinking language to have more emotion to it um, so that I can speak her language. Similarly, I think that um, feeling is one of those, if, if you're a feeler, then you likely hear from God that way. You just get, you get emotions, you get an overwhelming sense of, you know, hope, joy towards this move, this relocation or this job change or whatever, and it's very based out of your emotions. But again, the, the, the key thing here, there's two key things. One is it's a it's a foreign feeling uh, or uh, i should say it's a it's a foreign foreign i don't know something foreignness to it right there's a foreign attribute to it um and it's and it's going in and it's a foreign in a positive peaceful um direction that's going to have a, a positive impact doesn't mean it won't be challenging doesn't mean that it will make sense a lot of times god directs us in ways that don't make sense um, but there's going to be a peace on it in your spirit that you just feel this draw to. And I'm going to give some personal examples here in a second that, that clarify this. So I'm just kind of laying the groundwork of, of that. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you what it, how it happened for me. Um, but there's the peace. And then the, the next thing is um, that it's cross-checked with the word, with the Bible, right? So it's like I'm, I'm digging in the Bible. And no matter how much I dig into the Bible, I still get that same sense. No matter what I read, if I'm if I'm spending hours in the Word, um, but I'm still feeling the same sense, or thinking the same thought, or knowing, or or hearing, or feel, you know, though any of the different languages, um, then I'm I'm still getting that while I'm digging into the Word, and I'm even finding Scripture to back up 
to what I'm sensing, right? Um, I have a friend who, uh, let's see, two, two stories. I have one friend who um, they were, they had the option to stay where they were located and they were actually going to have, it was going to be comfortable. They were going to make a lot more money. There was like a lot of opportunity where they were located or the option to go somewhere else, which happened to be across um, the, what's whatever the U.S., I think it's the Mississippi River is I think what it was, to go on the other side of the Mississippi River, go west in the U.S. and relocate and take a different job. And um, he was praying about it and praying about it. And uh, he got, he opened up his Bible and he j he's like, normally I'm very structured about how I interact with the Bible, right? Like I, I use devotionals, I use reading plans and that's great. But he's like, I just got this sense, like I should just open it and see what it lands on. Landed on something and it just so happened that the verse was in the Old Testament and it talked about God, God was telling the person, you need to cross the river and go to the place that I've called you to. He was like, okay, there you go. We're crossing the Mississippi and we're going there. And then I had another friend who was, um, he was, uh, had, had relocated his family to Colorado um, for this job at the church. And they were trying to decide whether they were supposed to be there long-term. They were renting a house at the time, trying to decide whether to buy. And he opens up his Bible and happens to land on something that uh, that said, it was the same thing, just God said, open it. It landed on a page that said, uh, you know, go here, plant roots, stick, stay here, right? I don't remember exact, obviously I don't remember these scriptures. I could text them and ask, but um, so that, and that doesn't always happen, right? That's, those are two specific examples. But the bottom line is, as you're reading the word, you still feel that resonating of it in your spirit um, whether it's knowing, hearing, um, seeing, feeling, and I feel like I'm missing one. I think there's a fifth one, but if you look up those, um, and I think she even has an assessment where you can find out which one's yours. But um, anyway, all that to say that for me, um, my it's it's a really long story, but try and figure out how I can say it very short. Um, essentially. First of all, my wife saw that I was very leveled out where I was at. I was very comfortable and she was pushing me for years. Like, what's next? You need to be challenged. You need to be pushed. Like you have so much more potential. And, and I started to, I finally started to realize that I started to actually listen to my wife. What a concept. Um, and started to realize that she was right. She was, a, you know, coming from an outside perspective and seeing that. And she, um, I, well, I just, I, I started to get kind of, I, I just realized how, how comfortable I was. And I was like, okay, I, there needs to be a change. So I had, I took it to my leadership and, um, and had some challenging conversations. And um, I stuck around for another like nine months. And, um, you know, and then I had a dream um, that was very, uh, interesting to me it was really interesting and so sometimes you you know you have dreams and you just like it, it was weird but you don't feel any spiritual weight to it and sometimes you have dreams and you're like uh there's clearly some symbolism here right and so you have to have somebody in your life that you can go to to bring those dreams to that is is just more uh is tends to be good at interpreting those things and and knows you and knows how that might apply to you and maybe even knows some of the 
you know, biblical symbolic uh, symbols that happen in dreams. But anyway, I had a, a, the prayer coordinator at our church. I talked to her about it and she, um, she basically like, she never does this. Usually she says, um, I'm going to text you later, but she just immediately was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you in Aspen. Like, this is what this means. Like, you're going to take off. Like God has huge plans um, for this next season. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was praying about what does this mean? And, um, and, and I felt like God said, you need to, um, you need to start applying and interviewing. And so I started, um, or, or he said, you need to start, first of all, like release, release that current job uh, and, and be okay with it, right? We should always be holding everything in our lives, whether you're Christian or not, you should have everything in your lives with open hands. I have a friend who's a, a millionaire, they have, you know, planes, they have um, all kinds of stuff. And he says, um, you know, you, uh, I've seen so many of my, my friends where, you know, they were, they were very wealthy and they lost everything to a bad investment or something else. And um, I've seen people commit suicide after that. I've seen people, um, you know, all kinds of things go wrong, just get defeated, depressed, uh, feel like they can never get back up there. He's like, so I've, I've committed in myself that like, I'm going to be content no matter what. I'm okay losing everything. And I would go with him to fancy restaurants and then I'd go with him to Waffle House and he was good either way. So we have to always hold those things with open hands because you just never know what's going to happen. Um, so I, God was saying I had a tight fist on what I thought my future was and what, and, and I've gone through several iterations of this with God, uh, where I, where I tighten my fist on what I have. And he says, you better open your hands or I'm going to pry them open for you. Um, so I, I opened my hands and I started interviewing or, or, or applying, excuse me, uh, which was very uncomfortable for me. And I, I dealt with a lot of lack of confidence. I'm like, I never went to college, like on paper, like I know I'm brilliant, but then on paper, there's nothing to show that. Like, I, I can't just, I have to tap into my network because nobody's even going to give me like the, the artificial intelligence in the hiring systems aren't even going to pick up on me. They're going to, they're going to kick me out just because I don't have a bachelor's degree. I feel so, like every software engineer, engineer in the world can relate with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah. And transparently my, my dad always felt um, insufficient to take on jobs. He felt like he had to, um, he had to lie on his applications and interviews and say that he knew languages that he didn't to get jobs, um, which he shouldn't have done, because uh, then he'd have to work his tail off um, to, you know, as soon as he got hired, he was spending all night, every night studying the language and, and trying to keep up. Um, and it was it was hard on him. But and I don't think he had to do I don't think you have to do that. Like, you, first of all, you just you shouldn't be dishonest. But second of all, um, once you, uh, you, if you have if you have some stuff on your resume that'll that'll get you in the door, and you can have the conversation, and they're going to say like, well, we work in this language, and it seems like you don't have any experience in that. And y'all can correct me if I'm wrong because I've never actually interviewed. But I think that uh, mostly from an organizational standpoint, you want people who are going to be excellent team players, excellent culture fits. And they're going to, and they're self-starters and they're self-learners. And uh, yeah. when it comes to the tech field, especially. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I mean to interrupt, but uh, there is an element, you're right on the whole, on the attitude thing, but on the skills, like obviously don't lie, but like I know for myself, every job I've taken from being a CTO to being a teacher, to being a software architect, 
you know, uh, one of the co-inventors of freecreditscore.com. I, I had never done it at all. And I never lied and said I did. But I think within myself, and I think a lot of us have to do this in order to kind of uh, get into a, an interview to a position where we really want it. You just have to know within yourself you can pull it off. Yeah. Don't, don't oversell yourself, but don't like yeah. embellish it beyond reality either. That's it. That's good, Sean. Yeah, you have to you have to be reasonable. You have to be honest with yourself uh, to a to the point where, like, you know, even if you stretch the truth, like, how far are you willing to stretch it? Because then at that point, you've uh, put you have to put your, the money where your mouth is, right? Okay, hey, this guy says he knows how to do this. Okay, cool. Uh, we talked about this several times, Kevin, where it's like, whatever you put on your resume, be prepared to talk about it. Because if mm-hmm. you, I remember my first couple resumes, like it, I would do a Udemy course in like some random offshoot language, be done with it in like 20 hours. I'm like, all right, putting it on my resume. And uh, I look back at that resume and I'm just like, that's sure I can get past all the screen readers and stuff, but if somebody was to ask me about Java or Go or Haskell or something, like I wouldn't be able to talk about that. I mean, Haskell's not from experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think when people interview with me, I often tell people, you know, I'm one of those, you know, on my LinkedIn, I'm one of those that puts out those, you know, those kinds of messages like, you know, this person never did it before, but I took a chance and it was a, I'm really glad, glad I did. They're my best performer. I'm mm-hmm. not even lying at all. I mean, that has actually happened. Yeah. But I, I often describe it as if you could convince me that you can do it or that you will do it in a very short period of time. That's good enough for me. That's you, it. You just might get the job. That's it. That's good. And that, and that's the point. Like I was just, I was completely lacking confidence. I was like, uh, what have I done the last eight years? I was like, I'm not, I don't know. Like I'm in church IT. I just, I do all kinds of random things. I'm a, you know, I'm a, and I hate this phrase so much. Uh, I'm a jack of all trades. trades. <laughs> I called it. <laughs> yeah. But do y'all know what the, what the full phrase is actually that we actually shorten that phrase and there's, there's a whole nother part to that that we don't normally talk about the only variation i've ever heard was jack of all trades master of none master of none yeah so jack of all trades master of none the full quote is but oftentimes better than a master of one it's supposed to be a compliment it's supposed to be like you have this broad range of skills um but it's better but it's you know and of course like yeah you sometimes you need a specialist sometimes you need somebody who's really honed in on something, but other times you need somebody that's, that's got that broad expertise because they can connect dots and take from their learnings in different areas and apply them in this area. Right. So it's, you, you need both and you need to know when you need one or the other. Right. We have a question pertaining to our previous, if you don't mind, could I read it off? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This one is, if I pronounce it correctly, this one is from Yannick W says, so at what point do you put something on your resume and what level of proficiency do you actually need it to be at? Is it exposure, for instance, in Uh, college enough? So, okay, so like recently, I just, uh, I'll say this. uh, So recently, I'm I'm transitioning from one job into another, um, and they asked me about Redux 
and I, I was honest with them. It's like, you know, hey, I haven't used it since I was a TA and that was like three or four years ago. Um, but I, I, I did tell them like, if I have to use it, I'm willing to pick it up. Like I, I'm confident enough that I can hit the ground running, read the documentation and just like, and be able to perform like fine. I, I feel like uh, your bread and butter should be on your resume. Like what you're, you, you yeah. sell yourself on your strongest feats. If you're, if you're a front end engineer and you specialize in Svelte, that's your bread and butter. Like put that in your resume, but you shouldn't have Svelte, Node.js, Python, C++, like you shouldn't have this, 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 uh, this, everything in the kitchen sink on your resume. Cause no one's going to read through all that and be like, Oh, he knows everything. Like, well, what do you specialize in? What's your strengths? Um, so yeah, just only put the stuff that you're really confident in, um, that, that you're, that, you know, for sure, like this, these are my, these are my bread and butter. This is my strong, uh, points. And then anything that you get asked on an interview, if it's not what you're, uh, if, if, if you need to pick up something, just be, just have the confidence to, to say, Hey, I don't know it. And be honest, like honesty is what I look for most when I, when I, when I interview people. I interviewed one guy and he had this long laundry list of stuff and I kept, I kept asking questions and I was the, I wasn't pro I wasn't, what am I trying to say? I kept asking questions to see how far he would go to say like, I know this, I know this, I know this. And in my mind, I'm, I'm ready. I'm waiting to hear. I don't know that. Or, or I can learn this or I'm, but I never got that. And that was a red flag to me. It's like, I don't know everything. I have to Google half the stuff, you know, majority of the time. But if you can confidently tell me and look me in the face and say, oh, I know this. Yeah, I know that. I know this. I know that. It's like, well, what don't you know? Because then at this point, you, you should have a job if you know all these things. <laughs> so I, yeah. I think in my, that's a great answer. I think in my case, my litmus test for whether I'll put it on the resume is a, is it relevant to that role? And two, based on the job description and what I know about the company, because I, I do my homework for every company before I apply. And mm. then the second thing is if it's something that I'm willing to die on, that fall on the sword over if I start prying and, and asking questions. Yeah. That's good. That That's a conversation for y'all, because what I was getting at was that I didn't get any interviews and I still don't know how to interview. <laughs> I can't give I can't really give any advice on that, but I can say that um, what I did learn, what what it what it provided me, and I think the reason God had me do it was um, I had to reflect on the last ten years, and I had to really look at what have I learned, what can I be confident about, um, and like you said, Terrence, um, uh, I had to I had to figure out what do I what is my bread and butter what is my main thing you know yeah. not necessarily what do i specialize in but what do i bring to the table um as far as my strengths and the things that i know what do i know the most about what am i strongest at um i talk kevin and i talk a lot about the working genius from patrick lencioni because that's been revelational for me the last couple of years um it's uh, a, a really new assessment um and Basically, there's people who wonder, who just see the opportunity and possibility, 
people who invent, who create solutions to do something about that problem, people who discern and help to bring that solution to a, a solid, you know, ready to go to market type of thing. And then people who galvanize, who rally people around it and follow up and get the thing done. And then people who are enablement, they enable and they um, are great at just executing tasks. They're like, give me a task list. I love to, to hear a vision and support a vision, right? That's enablement. And then tenacity are the people who love to check things off the list. They like to tie up the loose ends, bring things to completion, all those things. Kevin, what's your what's your top two working geniuses? No, I can't remember, man. I can look it up. <laughs> Wonder and tenacity. Um, so Kevin, he sees the possibilities, the opportunities and things. He sees the problems that needs to be solved. He, he just, he sees all those things, right? He's going through his day and he's just having ideas and brainstorming. And then he has tenacity. He left, like, so there could be a, almost like a frustration there where it's like, I see everything and I want to bring it to completion, but it takes all of these other four steps in between to get there. And that's why we need each other because everybody has two working geniuses two competencies and two frustrations, right? And so for me, I'm an inventor and a wonderer, um, but my frustration, my top, my frustrations are galvanizing and tenacity. So I need Kevin, cause he's gonna circle back with me and he's gonna be like, hey, I'm trying to wrap this thing up and you're trying to give me something else and I can't take anything else on my list. Um, and he's gonna help make sure that we bring something to completion when I'm already onto the next thing. And so he's gonna say, can we, can we pop that on a list for later? And I'll say, yeah, we can, you know, here's here's your top priorities to actually work on, right? And so knowing what those things are, and by the way, that spells widget, so it's easy to remember. Wonder, invent, discern, galvanize, enablement, tenacity. Um, that's a really good assessment for just like, okay, I know, I know that because I'm an inventor, like what I provide in a coding environment is like creating the solution. Right. It's like figuring out how are we going to get there? Right. So this is where we want to go. This is where we're at now. What's the overall picture of what it's going to take to get us there? If you're if you're working genius as enablement, you're like, just give me the task list. I'm sick of all these meetings where we're talking about the ideas and all the things and we keep going and all this ideation. Right. Because there's three major phases. It's ideation, activation and implementation. So it's two, two and two. And so. Um, the three different, those are three different types of meetings. Ideation is a different meeting from activation. And that's a different meeting from how are we implementing, right? And so um, you want to have, you want to, you want to section off. So for a leader um, that's overseeing a development team, they want to know what are the different strengths of my teams. And so that I can have the, the meetings that are going to bring us, you know, to that vision that we're looking at. But you on your resume, you want to say, um, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you're not the person to um, invent the solutions and you're the person to just follow the vision, just give me the give me the vision, give me how we're going to get there and let me just execute. You want to say that because they're going to be looking for that, that if that's the person that they need in their environment, they'll look for that. But if they if if, if they're in an environment that's really heavy on ideation and they need some some to balance that out with some tenacity people. And they say, you know, and you say, I'm, I'm really good at bringing things to, to completion. Like, it really frustrates me when we work on something and we don't take it to the finish line. So I like to circle back up and say, let's 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 come back to this. Um, then you put that on your resume and you say, this is this is who I am. Right. Right. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, you know, 
that that can do that too works in um, certain cases where if uh, say for example I needed a junior engineer that that I needed somebody who is malleable and who who has that goats that can do attitude and and is willing to learn and uh, uh, is open-minded like that that'll work um, but then you also I, I want to counter that argument where like sometimes I don't have the time to hold somebody's hand and you know show me where the goal is and 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 i'll go and get it it's like okay but what, what's your vision what's your goal the it has the, the reciprocity has to be there where if i bring you on my team i, I need to understand what's your skill set what are you what are you looking for out of a position besides you know monetary gain and an are we right fit, a right fit at the end of the day because I, I, I can I can have you a, a part of my crew on this ship and I can say, OK, we're heading in, the, in this direction and we're doing this thing. But if there's no uh, if there's no what's what I'm looking for. Uh, if you don't have your own goals and, and, and you'll, you'll miss the forest for the trees, you'll, you'll be on the ship just to be on the ship. And then if you're not getting what you want out of it, like, why are you there? Yeah. You know, as a CTO, I, you know, I built the team from just me up to 15 people for my technology team so far, just in the last 18 months. And um, I've also taken an interest in like identifying these different archetypes and personality types because, you know, you get a lot of friction if you don't bucket people into the right uh for every new person that you hire, the company has a different mood and you've got to fit people into what's going to make them happy and what's going to make the company happy kind of mutually and everything like that. And I think one of the things that Terrence, and you have to do it without a lot of bias because like you can go too strong on that and start being toxic about it also. So you have to do it in a very healthy way. But uh, I was listening to what Terrence was saying about, I don't have time for this. I mean, of all you said, those words stuck out because you don't bring someone onto your team that you're not willing to support as a senior person, as a leader. If, yeah. if you're not going to be able to support them, then, they, then just don't bring them onto the team. Now, sometimes I make the decision. I've actually hired two interns and converted them into full-time employees. And one of them just got promoted to a senior DevOps. And... Uh, you know, for in their case, I was fully committed. Whatever it takes, let, let's, you know, I'm committed, right? Yeah. There's other people I've brought on since then that I just don't have that kind of commitment. So I want them to be more independent. I'm not going to look for someone that's less independent and so on. So, mm. yeah, I think also a lot of people, when they interview, they don't understand, like, well, why am I not getting a job? It may or may not be your interview skills at all could just simply be that you sent the signal that maybe they're not willing to support you, or maybe they're looking for someone that they do want to mentor. You know, like Google often hires people that they could shape into their own mold for their own reasons, right? Mm -hmm. There's a million different reasons why you might not have got the offer. Sounds really creepy when you say it like that, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. (laughs) No, but it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Some I've, I've, I've had friction with people that came in and knew how to do things, but they wouldn't change. And it just throws a wrench into the entire organization. So it's actually so much easier to just mold somebody and mentor them and 
and teach, train them how to be successful in the organization. But on a per seat basis, an org, uh, you know, a good leader is going to say for this hire, this is what I want. And for the next hire, in my case, I might want something completely different. Yep. Yep. And to your point, Terrence, um, I mean, there, everything in life is, is, is intention, right? Yeah. There is, there is nothing that is just like straightforward. You, you just go that direction and no other direction. Everything is managing attention. And a lot of times we talk about balance and yeah. balance is, is not really a thing. It's really more of you're, you're holding a rubber band with everything, you know, and, you're, and you want to, you want to be able to, to hold that rubber band. Sometimes you got to hold it at, at where it's hot, where it's like really tight. And yeah. sometimes you got to be able to release it and let it be chill. Um, otherwise it's going to snap at some point, right? If you're like, you're always managing tensions. And so, um, like earlier you said, Terrence, you want to know if all they're telling me is what they can do, but they're not telling me anything they can't do. They're not telling me anything about their weaknesses. Then I'm going to, that's going to be suspicious for me. Right. Right. It's a tension. Yep. Yeah. There has to be like, I want to know that, that I'm working with somebody who's willing to admit their mistakes. Right. Like, I'm not saying you have to say that you, you know, you deleted the whole database and we didn't have a backup or something like that. Like that's definitely a red flag in its own, but, um, yeah, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm not joking. It was 1999 Y2K. Oh, I was no. testing our backups based on the timestamp. Our backups worked perfect four months before Y2K switched over. Yeah. Y2K switched over 10 later, 10 days later, I had to go to a backup because of a, a mistake. Our backups haven't run because the timestamp I use hasn't been hit yet. And so <laughs> everything was four months and a week out of date. Wow. And you actually really had a, uh, that's the first real Y2K story I think I've ever Three heard. Three weeks later, I had a new job. Oh no. Ouch. Man. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's why I don't want to work on the back end. That's, 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 that's the, the, the type of fears, you know. I'm just like, just, just give me an API to hit. I'll make the website look pretty. I promise. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had to do some JavaScript and PHP with times, and I'm just like, why is this so complicated? <laughs> like, yeah. timestamps and time zones, and it all messes us up. My whole life is the back end. I don't know what you all are talking about. You, you put me in React, and I'm having the same thing. I don't, I don't understand what this hook does. <laughs> yeah. so I got a question. Okay. Um, so I know like a lot of y'all have been in transition coming to like new jobs, new situations. Sure. And the big thing in the coder world is imposter syndrome. So mm -hmm. how do you deal with that feeling of, okay, the role requires this. I feel like I'm right here. Um, how do you like deal with that, that fear and all of that? to just be able to get past that and do the job? Uh, for me, it's uh, give myself training wheels to mess around with. Like if I'm like, for example, like this new job requires me to know like styled components and Redux and some other stuff. And I'm like, all right, I don't know. I don't I haven't messed with it in a while. Let me brush up on, on my skills. I'll just make a project and start playing around with it. It'll be like right now I'm building out a selector to choose your Pokemon and it's all, it's all built in, Red in Redux, but it's, it's not like super complicated. It's just like in its own little 
world, its own little sandbox. All it is is just uh, it's just a select form. And I feel like at least at least me understanding the syntax or understanding how something works to a degree before I jump into this new role would help. Well, you know, it'll help instead of me having to burn you know the candle at both ends, uh, staying up super late and like trying to be performing at work the next day and plus potentially hurting my performance that way. I get it. Some people, some people work that way. I, I, you know, I'm sure some of you guys have done have had to do that. Um, but yeah, I just try to space it out. If, if that makes sense, like just kind of like give myself a little sandbox where I can mess around with and break stuff and not have to that fear of, uh, I have to do this on company time and in a, on a company project. My imposter syndrome was defeated sort of like in two different ways. Uh, the first one from a technical perspective was um, I had spent many years studying data structures and algorithms, so like a key point of contention for just about all the software developers out there. And going through these books and doing these tutorials over the years, I never felt I'd learned it because if I had to independently write a linked list, I couldn't. I just couldn't, no matter how much I studied it. And I don't know why it wasn't clicking, you know, other than this negative inner dialogue about it and this fear and all that kind of stuff. But the way that I overcame that was uh, I also had a fear of public speaking. I designed the system at Experian. And even when they would have me present my own design in front of 200 other software developers, it's like, no one wanted to hear it. I could not publicly speak. I was so terrified of it. And yet, right after I left that company, I went and applied for a teaching job at one of the top coding boot camps. I mean, just go figure that. But something, somebody, in the, 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 the founder of that school actually personally invited me to interview. And for some reason, that made me feel like I could do it. And so I did. And um, I was competing against some huge, heavy names that we've all heard of. But they put me in the interview was basically get in front of the class for a day and teach. If they like you, we might hire you. That's pretty much how it was. It wasn't questions. It was get up and do. Wow. And uh, but there was a question phase earlier in the morning. And the first question was a traverse a binary search tree. And then the second question question was a traverse it in reverse because they wanted me to talk about recursion and stuff. I had basically 30 seconds to answer the question and I answered it. I was, I felt like I was standing beside myself, watching myself do this thing that in eight years I could not do. So where did this answer come from? How did that happen? I took myself out of the equation and I just did it. I took the negative thought out. I had no time to ask her questions. I had no time to doubt myself. I just said, oh, I have a business requirement to reverse this linked list. This is how I would do it. And I did it. And so on that day, most of my imposter syndrome was actually defeated just because I, I learned a trick that if I can get out of my head, I might have a better chance. And so the second, uh, the second event that completed, uh, that completed the defeat of my inner imposter and I mean 100%, to this day, I do not have it. And uh, I became a CTO, just no prior management experience, no training, no mentorship, just I was a coder one day, next day I'm running a company. 
uh, and building this product. And I have this team that I have to build. In the management space, there's not a lot of imposter syndrome. If you fail, the competition isn't as high on the personal level. If you fail, there's a lot of support. Everyone knows most businesses are going to fail anyways. What's important is did you learn from it and are you going to do better? Everyone knows that sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's connection, sometimes it's team chemistry. Whatever it is, it's not whether or not you can invert a binary search tree that makes a business successful. So you don't have the pressure from your CEO and your CSO and all those people that the minute you make a mistake, you're out of a job or, you know, or any, anything you're less than perfect, you're out of a job. You don't have that. So you don't put additional pressure on yourself. Yeah. But in the beginning, I still had a little bit. Can I do this? I have no idea if I can do that. I've never been a leader before at this level. And it took me all but about four weeks to learn. And if I'm doubting myself, very quickly, I saw like uh, I had a few people working there already. Uh, the whole company started doubting themselves. Like it creates a certain confusion that shouldn't be there. And that came from me, the second highest leader. And so I had to go home and figure out how to defeat that and come back the next day and never show it again. Wow. So those two things combined, even when things get really unstable and rocky, I don't doubt myself. I just look at it from a logical, okay, this is what's going on and this is possibly what the solution is. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, who cares, but it's the direction I'm going. So yeah, that was my journey for dealing with imposter syndrome. That's cool. I definitely can't say that I've like defeated it and it's never coming back. So <laughs> I need to, I need to learn from that. Cause it's, it, it uh, resurfaces itself on a regular basis for me. Um, and sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's like, why do I feel this lack of confidence? Because I'm crushing it in all these areas, but I just don't feel confident, you know, or sometimes it's tied to whatever it is I'm facing at that time. Um, for sure. When I, you know, the last few years, I've had a lot of imposter syndrome. So I've listened to lots of podcasts. Um, you know, I think, uh, anyway, that you just search the podcast for imposter syndrome, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. And that, yeah. that helped me a little bit. Um, it gave me some tricks and tactics. Uh, but ultimately, it was, you know, like for you, Sean, you, you stepping into that CTO position and being like, Okay, well, I have to do this. I can do this. Somebody, somebody believed in me enough to put me in that position. Um, that's what I had to hold on to a lot, uh, stepping into this role now, because I'm like, I don't know how to lead and manage. Like I've, I've been trying for 10 years. I've been trying to build volunteer teams for almost a decade and I've, and I've not been succeeding. So I'm like, how am I going to step into this role now? And realizing that, um, you know, first that, uh, that first of all, that God directed me to be, and I never really finished that, but basically I was at that company and I really loved it and I really wanted to stay there. But our pastor asked me to come on and I, um, I laid everything out on the table and my mind and my heart were still at the other company, but I still felt this draw. And I was like, well, I've, <laughs> I've got everything else out. And there's still this draw that I know is my spirit saying, I've, I've got to be at the church. There's something for me there. And I felt like it was going to challenge me like nothing ever before. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it's done. And, um, you know, but having that confidence because it's like, well, God called me here and he didn't call me here 
because I'm going to destroy this thing and make a mess of everybody. And then second, uh, this, this um, CEO and pastor who's a high capacity leader leading a, a huge organization saw something in me to put me in this role, even though I was pretty quiet. I was on all kinds of volunteer meetings and I rarely said a word um, because I was just absorbing and learning and I'm very much like I want to I want to wait until I have a perspective and I've got like, a, you know, something that I feel very confident about before I say something, because, you know, the book of Proverbs talks about the, the wisdom with even a even a fool can seem wise if he stays quiet <laughs> and only says something when he knows he's sure that he's saying the right thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, but for me, definitely recently, I'm, my confidence has been built up by my successes in that same way, Sean, like I've, I've started to succeed. And so at first I had to get a, I had to get a, a jump start in my confidence um, by, by having somebody else believe in me and having other people around me who were telling me about my past successes and what they see in me and why they believe that I can do. And then another thing I had to do was work on self-awareness so that I could understand my failures. Understanding you know, that I'm not good at tenacity and galvanizing helped me to understand why I'm having a hard time with project management. I can recruit a team. I've learned all these skills to recruit a team, but I'm struggling to manage projects and get stuff done. And so I'm like, how do I have 50 volunteers on my team and yet I'm still doing everything. Something's wrong here. So realizing like, okay, this is a weakness and that's okay because my strength is invention. So now I'm going to start inventing solutions and tapping into people who have the strength of galvanizing in order to do that. So that self-awareness allows me to say, it's okay that that's my weakness. Um, I'm just going to use my strengths to compensate for that. And then that helps to regain some confidence as well. So I think it's, it's several different, there's lots of different th tools there to, to work on. Yeah, there's no one answer. For everybody, it's going to be different. Yep. Yeah. I think in yeah, my yeah. case, being put on the spot, but other people, you know, it's through knowledge. That's it. For me, I think it's just uh, realizing what failure is like. You know, going through school, you're kind of taught failure is bad. Like, you fail the test, you get an F, you get punished. But, you know, when I really researched what school was, school isn't really there to make you learn. It's there to create people that are obedient, that can do tedious tasks without complaining. So once I was able to deprogram my mind and stop looking at failure as something that's bad, um, that kind of empowered me. Like failure is actually part of the process of getting better, of learning. Like if you're lifting weights, if you only lift weights that you can easily lift, you're never going to grow. Right. In order to grow, you have to lift to, until failure. So realizing that failure is part of the, the process. Like if, if you only stayed in a role that you could easily accomplish, you're not growing. So there's going to be when you're growing into the next role, there's going to be a lot of failures and fear, but just realizing that's part of the process. That's you actually failing means that you're growing because you're attempting something that's beyond your current limits. So that's it, man. Um, and, and being in that last job, uh, the, the people who founded it, one of them, he was, he was a serial entrepreneur, right? Like he was, he was all, and he had, I think it was like 17 failed businesses before his first business really succeeded, which is why I'm like, after the, I'd probably give up after the first one, 
you know, but he had learned, like, first of all, it was just wired in him to a degree. But second of all, he had a friend who would push him and they would have this competition where they would, they would, they would have a goal of how many rejections they would get at, like hitting yeah. on women in a particular night. So they would literally like be hitting on women at a wedding. And they're like, my goal is to get rejected 10 times. <laughs> it's called and rejection it, therapy. Yeah. Yeah, it's rejection therapy. You get exposed to it so many different times that you don't even, it doesn't even matter. Um, it's just yeah. another day. Yeah. I used to do that with when applying for jobs. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I did like a very big, like, shotgun approach. It's like, all right, I'm just going to apply to three jobs a day or four jobs a day or whatever. And like, it got to a point where if I just saw a rejection, it didn't even phase me. I was like, okay, sure. That's, that's, that's normal. It is what it is. Um, it's like, it was almost like breathing air. And, uh, yeah, it, it, that type of therapy or that type of like under the gun type of, uh, uh, exposure does help like, cause you, cause you don't, you, you are putting yourself into uncomfortable situations and you're getting comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. And, uh, it's a skill. It's a skill. just like, you know, being able to be humble when you get a compliment, like that's a skill. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's one of the ways also to deal with just with with like, I don't want to take it back to imposter syndrome, but imposter syndrome is a lot about discomfort. Some of it, it's about unknown and can I do it again, but it is a general discomfort yeah. and everybody's different. But I think at least for me, when I confront discomfort and unknown, when I just take it head on, then I grow and I'm in the future after that, I'm not discomforted by similar things. Mm -hmm. I think like to get the growth out of failure, um, you have to also analyze like, why did I fail? You know, the failure is there, but if you don't analyze it, you just you keep doing the same thing. You're going to keep failing. So you have to take that time out to say what caused me to fail. And then you make the adjustment. It's constantly adjusting after these failures that eventually get you on that path to success. Yeah. Absolutely. And then there's also, like I said, everything's at tension. So one of the big tensions we all deal with is quality and quantity. And as coders, we we probably tend to be uh, lean more towards the quality towards I want I want this thing to be perfect. I want this thing to, um, you know, to be uh, unbreakable. I don't want it to come back from QA and have to redo something like I, I don't want to get so we, we we can overdo it and lean towards that quality side uh but recognizing like which way do i lean and in in which scenarios do i need to lean the other way or lean more into the side you know so for me i lean towards quality but a lot of my job requires leaning towards quantity and so i have to override my personality that's that's screaming at me that like you need to do this more excellently and say no i need to I do more of it and um and then that's where the principle of just sowing and reaping which to me is is just a natural law like you sow seeds in the ground as a farmer and you water them and you will see a harvest you know now there will be times where circumstances prevent it where there's a drought and there's different things but um but there's also going it's also going to come back to you at some point if there's a drought this year there might be a, a downpour next year, you know, and you may see you may see even more harvest. And so that principle applies to everything. If you're if you're giving it quantity, like Terrence, like if you're if you're putting in three applications a day, like it's statistically you're going to get an interview at some point. 
Right. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, but it, I, I don't even, I can't even count. I'm pretty sure I probably hit like at least probably a couple hundred, maybe, maybe even like three to 400 applications after a while. Mm. Um, and some of them just kind of went into the void. Um, and uh, there were there were periods where I just stopped because I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, but yeah, like that, the the advice on like sowing and reaping, like, yeah, you definitely, uh, it works both ways where like you could sow something terribly, like, uh, and uh, meaning like if you have seeds and you, you have pumpkin seeds and you plant them and then you, you know, you, you six months later you get pumpkins, but then you expected apples. It's like you planted pumpkin seeds, you're going to get pumpkins. Yep. And it's almost like uh, our daily habits, right? You know, uh, if you're doing something that that is going to hinder your performance or like hold you back from a, a goal that you're trying to reach, uh, you know, that, that's like it's like planting pumpkin seeds and expecting uh, apples. It's just not that, that that end goal is not going to flourish or not going to flourish as well if you're doing stuff that's going to uh, hold you back in the end. Um, yeah, it, 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 we can get, we can get super deep with this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping myself from like really diving into, to that whole, uh, to that, to that rabbit hole, but yeah, sowing and reaping. And, oh, I want to say this on, on imposter syndrome. It, I don't know if I have imposter syndrome. It's more of a, it's more so of, um, uh, being lazy, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to put it, but it's more like, I know what I need to do and I'm, I'm, I'm lazy to, to, uh, to tackle it or to, to go forth and, and to take care of it. Um, and in doing that and procrastinating in doing that, it sort of grows into something, uh, into this beast that like later it's like, Oh man, like, you know, if something's due in two weeks and I haven't done it for 12 days and on the 13th hour, I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. Let me do this. That <laughs> one's like, called comfort syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> comfort syndrome. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Is that up or is that real? It's, it's a Seanism. <laughs> it's a Seanism. That's a good one. That's a good one. No, cause there's definitely times where I'm like, I got it. this ticket is done in two weeks. Final Fantasy looks mighty nice right now, and then, you know, seven, you know, a week later, ten days later, you're like, "Shisa, I got, I have to, I have to get this done." And um, yeah, it, it's more like, for me, how I tackle the whole imposter syndrome and not really having confidence is putting myself inside of situations and winning little battles. Like, uh, for me, like I, I've, I've started to improve my home gym. Um, I bought like a bunch of weights and stuff and I'm still setting it up, but every couple of weeks or every month or so, I tr I keep track of where I'm, where I'm started, where I started and where I'm going. Yep. And just means just by seeing the progress that gives me the confidence. Like, you know what? Like, I don't care what my boss says this day. Like I went to the gym and tore it up. I'm feeling great. Like, you know, that everything can be on fire at work. It's all good. Like uh, we're going to get it done. Like I'm confident enough that, that we're gonna, you know, make make it through, and uh, you know, just just winning those little battles every day, um, or at least looking for the little wins. It might not be. You could try something and fail. Like I, I tried things and I 
get egg on my face and I fail all the time and and I, I look dumb sometimes, but I'm not gonna hold that against me, you know? Uh so yeah. yeah just uh just try to win those little battles and don't don't be so hard on yourself when you fail. Give yourself yeah. some grace, honestly. Yeah. I just looked it up. Comfort syndrome actually is a thing. <laughs> I, I said yeah. that wrong. I said, yeah. did you make that up or is that real? What I meant was, did you make that up or is that a common thing that you already knew about? Gotcha. Either way, it's real. On the topic of sowing and reaping, I think another thing is that sometimes you have to pull yourself back and don't worry about the reward. Just worry about the process because sometimes it takes a, such a long time to get to the reward that if you're worried about that you're going to discourage yourself and sometimes you're going to try to water the seeds too much and you're going to kill it like maybe yeah. if i work two times as hard i'm going to get to the finish line but you're going to burn out you yeah sometimes that's it's an be sustainable i'll oh, go ahead sorry um it's an extremely difficult thing to learn how to take data but um on the issue of am I failing or not? Am I heading in the right north or not? I've learned how to self-validate. In other words, sometimes I will get feedback. When you're a CTO, you're honestly, you're not going to get honest feedback. Most of the people under you aren't going to want to do anything to jeopardize their well-being there. So you have to, you know, look at other things. But in terms of your own performance, uh, you know, you have to be able to have a, keen sense of discernment and look at how things are going and interpret the mood and the feel and the signs and just know you know am i doing good or am i not doing good and you know you have to you have to be able to self-validate because you can't go to the ceo all the time or your own team and say how am i doing am i doing good like yeah. give me three tips about how i'm going to improve your ceo is going to look at you and say dude did i hire the right person <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I do think though that we do we need to have that feedback loop that we program in those um, those opportunities to give and receive feedback and and uh, have those one on one meetings and and but but being strategic with the feedback we ask for. Lately, I haven't gotten as strategic as I want to be. I've been just asking, you know, do you have any feedback for me? Like, what's an area um, that I'm doing well and an area where I can grow? But when I ask that, it's not rooted in an insecurity that I don't feel like I'm not doing well. I'm asking it um, because to manage that tension, right? And to know like, what are the things I should keep doing and lean into more and what are the things I need to work on? Um, and I ask that downstream and upstream, right? So we should ask our, our supervisors and our direct reports um, and have those conversations. But, but having strategic feedback of like, listening to a podcast and learning a leadership lesson or learning a, a, a lesson about how to be a more effective team player and then asking feedback that's directly related to the stuff you learned on that, you know, is, is a really great way to keep that feedback loop going a healthy way instead of mm -hmm. what you're talking about, Sean, there was that like needing that affirmation just to go on needing, like, I, I crave that because I'm a people pleaser or because I'm, I'm struggling with imposter syndrome or whatever. But what you said there, Kevin, with the, um, you know, I, I saw one time on our executive pastor's whiteboard, it said, um, focus on process over yeah. results. And I was like, isn't that backwards? Don't you want us to focus on the results? And he was like, no, you need to focus on the process of how you're going to get to the results. 
and yeah. lean into it day by day. You know, so when I was in sales, it's like you focus on prospecting and you do you do a prospecting and you do calls and you do admin work and responding to emails every single day and you just put in the work and eventually you're going to see you're going to see the fruit from that. But if you get hung up on the goal for the month, that's going to look like this monster but you just got to know what are the habits every day i'm doing this this and this and i know it's going to get me there yeah. the process is the rule book mm -hmm. yeah. it's it's how everyone gets on the same page a couple times in the last few months we've, we've i'm not a process freak by any stretch but certain things have to be sequenced and that's captured in the process there have been a few times where they had us build out the front end before we had a back end. And then when it all comes together, it's like, where's the data? Like, didn't know we had to. It's like, whoa, how did this happen? So the process is actually necessary. But man, some people, it could be taken to an extreme, but it's supposed to be merely a guide, not an absolute. Mm. I got uh, one more topic for you guys. Uh, it's kind of something we talked about earlier in the meeting. Uh, and once you see uh, it's about like leadership fatigue, like I know, you know, being at the top, leading people, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to show your, you know, your fears and all of that stuff. So, you know, how do you like get over like leadership fatigue? How do you like keep yourself energized and ready to go? That's a good question. Uh... I haven't, I haven't been in a leadership position for like super long, probably like seven, eight months. Um, it was very foreign to me going from like being a developer into a managerial role. And so when people would come to me and say, Hey, Terrence, I have this question. I'm just like, okay, sure. Um, I think I tried to have, I tried to be that, that source of truth to have all the answers to, to, to come off as like, I'm the leader, I'll, I'll guide the, and I'll, I'm the captain of the ship. Like, no worries, we're, we're going to make it through this. Um, but then it, it, de it definitely got to a point where I would, uh, I, I got tired of faking the funk and trying to be the guy that like had all the answers and, and uh, I just let myself be okay with saying, I don't know. I don't know. And even like, even during meetings, I don't know. We'll look it up. I don't know. Let's let's Google it, and um, and that for me gave a lot of uh, relief, like a relieve a lot of stress and pressure of trying to like come off as as if I know everything. Just being uh, being okay with uh, saying I don't know and uh, showing my teammates that I'm, I'm 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 just like you. Like if I don't know something, like I'm not gonna do anything different. Then, uh, then you would like I'm gonna Google it, or I'll you know play around with this piece of code, or uh, if I don't know the status of something, I, I'll ask somebody, you know. And I think those type of experiences, especially experiencing it with somebody else, shows them that it's okay to not know everything. Like shows them that it's okay to just you know Google something. Um, yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what leadership is like in your uh, shoes, Sean. But uh, <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot scarier. The accountability is so high. Yeah, I feel like John probably me and him can probably relate almost identically because you know he might be the leader of an IT department. Everything you've said, I'm like, man, that sounds like what I do here at the or at this organization. Um, 
One thing, though, I wanted to add on to what Terrence said is, you know, I don't know if it's dependent on your boss or your role. Um, mm. But I know for me, I don't know is not an answer that's remotely acceptable by the people who hold my paycheck in the balance. But what I do, but I very often don't know when they, I mean, even today, they put me on the spot for a direct answer. And mm. I, I had to have nerves of steel in front of my whole team to kind of navigate myself through to a favorable outcome when I wasn't prepared. And I wasn't expecting to because it just hit from nowhere. But uh, my typical answer is let me consult with a few team members and get their confidence and then I'll give you my confidence. And yeah. that usually works. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to rephrase. Uh, when I say I don't know, it's more of a, it's not a direct like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It, for it's, sure. it's, 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 it's there's definitely like some finessing to the, to the, uh, I don't know. It's more of, yeah. we're still looking into this or, or, you know, there's this issue or, uh, that, that needs to be resolved. I want to, I want to, I want to make it clear that it's less of a, a shrug and more of a, you know, this still needs to be done. Like, uh, yeah, the, I think, I think as I think the sentiment generally is, I'm not prepared to give an answer yet, but I'm going to get yeah. you one very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think, like for me, it's it's so hard because I feel like the mood of the company changes every week, and as mm -hmm. we grow, we get more customers, we take on investors, like the pressure like so many things change that you know you just have to adapt with it and so uh for me it really is just about honestly i feel like every day I, i'm just watching things happen and i'm just trying to adapt with it and like sometimes just not fall apart um i think i've expressed this to kevin once or twice before but other people a lot of people ask me they're like sean i want to how do i become a director of engineering or I want to be a CTO someday. And they're like, you know, what's your advice? Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now how my everyday is. My, my answer to that kind of a question is enjoy being at a lower rank because you can go to your leader and say, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Can you reshift my priorities or can I take a few days off or something like that? Mm -hmm. But at the level at these levels of seniority, you cannot go to your CEO and say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm going to go yeah. take a personal day off. <laughs> Literally, it is a dog eat dog world. You, you, yeah. like, you cannot show weakness. So you just have to constantly manage your perceptions. But I'm human. I have failures. I have concerns. I have fears. I have successes. I have dreams. And I have ideas because I'm the inventor type. And uh, it's that rubber band analogy. I feel like 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 you know that that tension is always all the way over here so i just manage it by taking it one task at a time and not letting myself get tremendously sidetracked but i always have a uh uh i was a scuba diver and i did shipwrecks and caves and the training is super intense and the amount of practice and the lives that your own life and others are at stake with that kind of diving and the way that some people scuba dive and train is you train a little, you buy some gear, 
couple months later, you advance, you buy more gear. A couple months later, you buy more gear. And you're spending all this money and all this time in these cycles. But when you do caves and shipwrecks, you literally start your first day of training as if you're going to be the most advanced that you ever will. Like they have that end goal in mind and they start you there. And that I took that attitude into what I do here. I might be working today on something, but I have a pretty good idea where I'm going to be in 12 months. Mm. And every day and my whole team, they know it because they're starting to see it come together. I do recall there's a lot of questions about, man, why are we doing this? That doesn't make sense. We could just do that. But now everything is coming together and like this beautiful masterpiece. I don't want to overplay it, but it's true if I say that. And, you know, as long as you keep your eye on the prize, you know, that you don't need to get distracted and rattled in the day to day. That's good. Um, Yeah, I'm always going to, you know, you've heard this times basically throughout this is is lean into your strengths know who you are um and and uh just have that self-awareness i I say this all the time but i was listening to a podcast i need to track it down but there was a study done on a bunch of fortune 500 ceos and their goal was let's find one attribute that that all of these ceos share um that that allows them to lead at this capacity right and so they had they all had theories about what it was going to be they're all visionaries they're all they all have charisma they all know how to inspire people great communicators something like that um systemizers whatever um but what they found was that their strengths their um, personalities everything was all over the map right like as far as the myers-briggs or anything like you had introverts and extroverts and intuitive and sensors and whatever it was all over the map um, but the one, th- but there was one trait that every single one of them had, and they figured it out because they interviewed like coworkers, you know, on the peer level, and then direct reports, uh, supervisors, which would be board of director. They interviewed their families. They got deep, and um, all like a vast. There was a there was a vast, overwhelming statement of that person is self-aware. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. Um, and because they're self-aware, they're also aware of the people around them. They're aware of me. They understand my strengths and weaknesses, and they know how we work together well, right? So self-awareness is the number one thing. So lean into your strengths. Um, you know, so for me, with what you're talking about there, um, with the, you know, somebody asks you a question saying, I don't know, um, I lean into my wonder ability and my invention ability, right? Those are my strengths. So I, I will... <laughs> You know, you could, you could, you could, you can always spin something in one direction. You know, a lot of people call this BSing. I just call it, you know, being me, which is just wondering and saying, well, you know, um, off the top of my head, I think it might be possible to do it this way, or this is how I would do it, and I invent, and I, and I start to kind of invent something off the top of my head, um, and I don't know if I can. I have no idea if I can pull it off, um, and and I'll, but I'll like this makes sense to me. And I might say like, I'm not hundred percent confident about that. Like that's just, that's off the cuff. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to talk to my team about it. I'm going to get feedback on it. But um, I think this might be something we can make happen. And that's how I handle it. But you know, if you're a, if you're a galvanizer, maybe you handle it more by being like, well, I'm not sure, but I've got this person and this person, and this person. And I think if I bring them together, 
we can um, have an ideation session and we can get to a solution on that. And so I'll get back with you, you know, lean into your strengths. Um, but, and then back to your question, Kevin, um, about leadership fatigue. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it, we say leadership fatigue, but it's really any kind of fatigue because we're all at a minimum, we're all leading ourselves at a bare minimum. We have to, I have to lead myself day to day. How am I, um, how am I, what are my rhythms and habits and, um, how am I functioning? And so, um, for me, I, uh, I know what my motivations are. I know that I'm motivated by curiosity and I'm motivated by inspiration. And those are like, those are the top two I fall on. There's other ones, there's independence, which deals in like succession and legacy and sustainability. Um, and there's, there's other ones, but those are the top two that always come to mind. And so I say, okay, if I'm, if I'm feeling fatigued, who can I inspire or who can inspire me? Um, and getting around the right people, or um, you know, how can I get curious about a get do something that I'm going to enjoy? You know, I love being in virtual reality, and there's an app I love in there called Noda, which is mind mapping um, in 3D. And so, for me, as a as an introvert and a thinker, I want to get in there and just like stream of consciousness, start you know, like putting my brain out in front of me, like Tony Stark does in Iron Man 2, basically. Um, and so I like I'll get in there and that'll help me to to get to a more uh, calm place. But that's more about dealing with dealing with it in the moment when I'm feeling fatigued in the moment. But preventing fatigue is all about, for me, setting up the right rhythms. And so for me, my phone goes um, on. This is a late night. We're, we're lucky tonight because I, I had a little bit of flexibility. But normally, like my my world shuts down at 9:30 p.m. Um, and my my phone goes my sleep mode automatically kicks on at 9:30 basically um, and it doesn't go off till 6:30 in the morning or whatever and so um, however I still receive texts so if I happen to be flipping through my phone and I pull down my notification center I still might see somebody's text and it might um, throw me for a loop and I might feel tempted to respond. But I'm like, nope, this is a boundary that I've set up for myself and I will not text people after 930, um, except on particular set nights. So setting those rhythms up and, and those boundaries and then sticking to those boundaries. There's one other thing I was thinking about earlier. I want to make sure that's important to share because Terrence, you said you said, I think it's just laziness. Um, <laughs> we uh, I think programmers, we talk about uh, I, I joked with Kevin about that the other day. I was like, because programmers are lazy. Right, because we just want like we'd rather we'd rather spend hours inventing something, inventing a solution for something that we could have spent ten minutes just do. Like I, I don't want to do all this data entry, no, so I'm automated. We <laughs> spend five hours building a script to handle this data entry, even though I'm never going to have to enter this particular data. Automate or quit. Yeah, automate or quit. I did that. I did that. Save me plenty of weekends. <laughs> did it take did it take a long time? Sure is sure it did. But there's plenty of weekends now where I don't have to wake up and update a database mm -hmm. or manually run yeah. a script. That's it. You know, that's I, where I the learning happens. Yeah. So so there's there's a oftentimes a confusion around laziness and and um that's kind of one of them, but with procrastination, you know, we think sometimes that we're procrastinating out of laziness. When it could be, um, you know, that we have some some sort of psychological resistance towards it, and we actually need to address what is that psychological resistance. So for me, I have to like I either have to unpack that by typing it in and just stream of consciousness, like, okay, why is this a problem for me? And just trying to dig it out 
And if I can't get to it by myself, maybe I need to talk to someone. Maybe I need to put it on my agenda to talk to my counselor about later because we need to go real deep on it. Um, but there's lots of reasons I think that we procrastinate. And so we kind of have to unpack that. It could be laziness. I'm not saying that laziness is not there because sometimes for me, it is definitely like that is um, on my Enneagram. That's, that's the thing that I'm most prone to. But there's other times where it's not laziness. It's just that I don't have all the, I don't have everything I need. I'm waiting for somebody on something or I need to, I need to do this, this, and this, and this in order to do that. And maybe it's like, I need to just capture all the tasks that it's going to take to execute this project instead of sequencing there's not this big thing in my mind. I just need yeah. to figure out like, what's the next action? So there's a great book called Getting Things Done um, by David Allen that really helps with that. You just bring down the problem into smaller steps. That's it. Yeah, I think for me, uh, one of the biggest things that causes leadership fatigue is like pride. And I mean that in, in because like in order to really reduce leadership fatigue, you want a lot of competent, really competent people around you. Because uh, this last project I worked on at uh, Caliber Home Loans, I was the only front end developer for the whole project. But they gave me so much work that it's almost impossible to do. So once they brought on another developer, like me moving out of the way and really letting him go to work, um, that, that really like reduced a lot of my burden. You know what I mean? Sometimes like a lot of times when we're in a leadership position, we always want to be that go-to guy. We want to be like the best at everything, but really you want to empower the people around you and they might outshine you for a while and you have to be fine with that because uh you know the more that they can do the less that you have to worry about you have really competent people you just don't have to worry about certain things anymore because they're going to handle it for you and you know sometimes i think we let pride get in the way because we start seeing them to shine but we don't want them to outshine us you know what i mean but you just have to you just have to let them take off and be fine with it and celebrate it you know it's, it should be we should be celebrating like that's the that's that should be one of one of our greatest joys is, is yeah. if i was able to help somebody else succeed that's amazing mm -hmm. like or taking too much on when you have a team for a reason yep yeah yeah and then and that's yeah there's lots of reasons there's one other story i want to share from y'all when i was self-employed um i you know, I, I, I was relying on my network to get contracts. I didn't, like I said, like I had a website and that's about it. I wasn't doing marketing or sales, I'm hardly doing outbound sales at all. And even then it was network based. Um, and I got, uh, I, I was able to land a, a major project from a major organization, a nonprofit that's international um, that you all would know if I said it. Um, and I was like, it was like, how the heck did I get this? This is crazy. It was like, it was a total God thing. But um, the, the project was to take a, a website that had been built as a um, statically generated site. And so it used, it was a Ruby, it was built on Ruby and it used middleman uh, and, a, and a circle CI um, continuous integration to uh, you take the content from Dato CMS, which is, um, you know, a, a, what's it called? A headless content management system. Um, to take the content from that and then plug it in to this Ruby site and then generate the site. So, so what's sitting on the server is all raw HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you know, um, instead of having a dynamic 
content management system like WordPress. But what they, the problem was that the Circle CI integration was continually failing. So they would have to, so the, the content team would have to go to the central IT team to get the website updated every time because something would break. So they were like, we're, we're done with this. We want to go to a, a full, um, you know, dynamic content management system, WordPress. So we, uh, now here's the thing, everything that I just described to you, I didn't know any of that when I accepted this contract. When I signed the contract, I, we, what we had talked about was that they wanted their current website rebuilt in WordPress. In my mind, what I was going to do was literally build a website from scratch in WordPress with, I, I think I use, I, I use Beaver Builder, Divi, Elementor, whatever, with a page builder, right? Not, not dealing in code. I'm all doing front end stuff and um, easy stuff, right? And I might even contract somebody to help me. In my mind, that's what I'm doing, right? And, um, and then we get to a point in the contract and it's basically like, oh yeah, this is what you're doing. We want to, <laughs> we want to translate everything. We want it to be identical and we want you to use advanced custom fields. And, you know, I was like, I have, I'm not a WordPress developer. I'm a, I'm a, like, I know how to work on the U like I've done some, obviously I've done code. I've dabbled in all these areas, but I'm predominantly, a, a you know, I'm using GUIs. Like I'm not, I'm not that, and I, I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I poured myself into it. Um, and I, in the end, I got paid probably like $10 an hour um, when you, you know, cause I agreed on a price that sounded amazing at the time. I was like, man, if I can get it, if I can build a website for that much, like that's, that's great. Like I can do one of these a month and it would be awesome. But I had to pour so much into learning um, in order to pull that off. But I did it um, because there was pressure around it and I wasn't going to get paid and my family wasn't going to get fed. And, uh, and I had this pressure of like, I wanted to do this. And I, and I loved the person really who I would, who he was part of my personal network who contracted me for this. And I wanted to have a healthy relationship there and that relationship to continue. So there was a lot of pressure. I mean, I had, that was the first time I think I had a panic attack an anxiety attack that I'd ever had, like where I really was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail and I'm going to lose all this money and I'm going to be nobody. And I was like struggling. Um, but I had to surround myself with people who are like, you're the most brilliant person I know, and you can do this, you know? And like, I've seen you do this and this and this. And, um, and then I had to tap into resources I had never used before. My grandfather is uh, smart with engineering and technology, and I had never really asked him questions. And so I started asking him like, what do you, um, how does, how does, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, object oriented programming work and like trying to learn how to build WordPress plugins. And, um, and eventually I actually did it. I finally did it. I put in so much work, but I did it and I did it excellent. And they were blown away. And I learned stuff that was invaluable about WordPress development that allows me to do things today um really easily you know that are super beneficial for the church um and i learned a lot just a lot about technology in general and i expanded my network because the people that i worked with at that organization they really like me and they will email me every once in a while and say hey we got this project are you up for it so um all that to say like do you there there are, you know you you do want to be realistic and self-aware um, but there will be times where you need to be challenged and you need to be thrown into the deep end and you've got to swim for dear life, but you're going to grow from that like never before. So know the difference. 
Yeah, that's good. I, I know Terrence, he said he got it going. We kind of ran over time, so <laughs> we can we can end it here. Um, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks for uh, showing up, John, Sean, and uh, Terrence. Yeah, man. John, next time. Peace. 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 All right. <laughs>